Here we go. We are starting a new series this morning. It's good to see you all, by the way. I see some familiar faces, some, some guests, semi-guests, people that show up from time to time. We'll call you our church people that uh, live somewhere else and come and visit us. Uh, it's good to see you all, though, this morning. Focus. Here we go. We are doing a new series starting with, uh, uh, we're in, in Philippians. We're starting with Philippians. We're going to end in Philippians as well, actually. Uh, the whole series is, is Focus. It's from Philippians. Why? Focus. Well, I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to kind of start way off in the weeds, and then we're going to come back to Philippians, and we're going to focus, okay? Are you all with me so far? You have your bulletin with you. It's a place for you to take some notes, see what's going on at Desert Heights this week. But important now is for you to, to see the outline of the sermon so that uh, hopefully you learn something and you write it down so that you don't forget it, right? Amen. Thank you. All right. <laughs> that one. One person's here to learn. All right, here we go. The word focus has two definitions that work for our purposes today. Uh, the first one. A central point, think about this, a central point of attraction, you focus your attraction, your attention, you focus your activity. Does that make sense? We just focused on worship. We put all of our attention, our activity about singing and worshiping God with songs. And then, and then we change our focus. Our focus kind of transitions to the, the scripture. So it's a, a central point of attraction, attention, or activity. Uh, Philippians will be the focus of our preaching for a while. So that's focus in one definition in one sense. The second one, because we're going to use them both, is actually a clear and sharply defined condition of an image. So whenever you take a picture with your iPhone 14 or whatever it is, because uh, I think that they started skipping numbers. It really messes some of us up because some of us, we need order, right? So we're like, where is the Apple iPhone 9? It fell into the abyss. All right, focus. That's what I was talking about. <laughs> Focus, a clear, so you take a picture with your new iPhone and it's clear and it's crisp, hopefully, right? Because you don't want to take a picture that's out of focus. No, we want it to be crisp and clear. So you have one focus is to a, a point of attraction, attention, activity. The other is clear and sharply defined condition of an image. The picture is in focus. All right, are we all together so far? That's the easy part. I'm not so sure how, that there's, there has ever been a time when there was so much demand on people's attention. You know, we have devices now to save us time, but then we spend a lot of time on devices doing nothing. But it demands our attention, right? You know, you hang out with people and their phone dings and they're like, you, you can tell the minute their phone dings, they glaze over because they can't listen to you until they <gasps> look at their phone. <sighs> It was my mom. She says, hi. <laughs> it was very important. <laughs> it was a reminder that's been on there for six years. <laughs> it's dinged again, so don't forget to do your soap, <laughs> right? Y'all do have that reminder, right? You need that reminder. We have all these things that pull on our attention. It's not just the job and the spouse and the kids that demand our attention. It's the constant barrage of advertisements that are constantly vying for our attention. I love advertisement. Um, 
I, went, I was in business, I, my, my degree was in business, and so I kind of did a marketing class. Very interesting, uh, the, just the, what goes into getting people's attention, keeping people's attention, and then getting them to give you their money. I love it. It's really, really interesting, uh, and, and it's fun. You watch commercials. I think advertising has changed a lot in the last 50 years. Uh, you know, we have black and white TV, the color TV, funny videos, funny commercials. We have all these ads that come up on our phones now, and it's all meant to capture your attention, to draw you in, to get you to buy this, to get you to travel here, to get you to eat at this restaurant. Hallelujah. <laughs> I look for those advertisements. And then once you buy all that stuff, then there's the care and maintenance that pulls on your attention because once you go buy stuff, now, now you got to take care of that new vehicle. I, uh, this morning on the way to the church, this, this F-150 pulls up uh, beside me and it's all got a dealer's tag in and it's black and it's four doors and shiny. <laughs> so pretty. So the guy sees me lustfully looking at his pickup next to me, and he reaches over in his glove compartment. Is that what you would call it anymore? That box, you know? Because my kids are like, why do we call it a glove compartment? I don't know. Um, he, he pulls out the payment booklet, and I'm like, I don't have one of those. I don't have a shiny truck, but I don't have a payment booklet either, so God bless you and have a good day. But you know that once you have one of those shiny things, you spend your money, you know, they pull your attention in, you buy something shiny, and then you got to change the oil in it, you got to put gas in it, you got to maintain it. All of those things that we buy, they have to be maintained, and we have all these pulls on our attention. There's similar pull on the church's time and resources. Potential distractions of the church are, uh, as a, as a, as a, people group, as the church of the world, there is this pull on us to solve the world's hunger problem. And part of it is self-imposed, but a lot of it is from outside of the church. People saying, well, the church ought to be feeding all the hungry, right? The church ought to be taking care of all the poor people. There is pressure on the church to, to be the social director of all the believers. What's going on at your church? Well, we preach Jesus, Him crucified. We're reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ that they'll become fully devoted followers of Christ. And they're like, yeah, but what do you do for fun? Uh, not my job. But there's that potential distraction in the church world that the church should be entertaining all of the believers. There's pressure on the church to raise money for all the good Christian causes out there. I like the way you're looking at me. There's pressure on the church to compete in the church growth industry. What are you doing to growing? What are you doing to multiply? Are you multiplying, brother? <laughs> you with pastors, that's the question. What are you doing to multiply? What are you, what's your evangelism tactics? What's your strategy? What's your strategy for reaching the world? Reaching people with the life-giving message of Jesus that they'll become fully devoted followers of Christ. Yeah. All right, so while we're on the subject of church growth, that actually brings me to my next point. I was getting all wound up and ahead of my notes. Let me bring something into focus for you. Uh, over the years, uh, we're, we're in March will be 15 years Desert Heights has existed. And over the last 14 and a half or so years, there's been a handful of people that they come and they, they ask me to communicate clearly my vision for the church. 
Um, they come to church for a while, and then they want to know, because they, they come and they like it, because we're a friendly bunch of people. We're having a lot of fun. We're going to heaven. What's not to like? And so they're like, okay, this is cool. I want to hang out here. So they, they come and they want to know, Brent, what are you going to do? What is the church going to do? What is the long-term vision of the church? Enlighten me, Brent. The really spiritual people, they come and they ask me, obviously they ask me in the lower laryngeo. That's what that is when you talk real low, lower laryngeo. Say, what does God put on your heart for the future of Desert Heights, Brent? This is going to be serious, right? And you know, if you come and ask me that, I'm not going to give you a serious answer. Uh, I think that what they're looking for is for me to say something along the lines of, well, well, man, God is leading Desert Heights Church to be the coolest, funnest, happiest, fastest growing church in the Four Corners area. And the way we're going to do that is with cool billboards. So if that's what they're expecting, then it's a little bit disheartening whenever I answer people, they ask me, what is the church? What is Desert Heights going to do? What is the Lord leading you to do? And I say, to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus that they won't go to hell and that they might become fully devoted followers of Christ. Amen. Really? That is your big church vision? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> That's it. Allow me to bring it into focus for you. The plan that God has given us as believers, everyone say believers, not as members of Desert Heights, but as children of the kingdom of God. God has given us a vision as believers, and it is to spread the gospel and to make disciples. It's very complicated, isn't it? It's not, it's not cool, doesn't look good on a billboard, and it implies a whole bunch of work. So here's why I am so committed to the vision of Desert Heights Church. Imagine with me, dust the cobwebs off your imagination, for those of you that are my age and older. Imagine with me the impact that a church of 200 fully devoted followers of Christ would have on this community. Mm -hmm. as opposed to 500 mediocre believers who are only around until the cool wears off. Do you hear what I'm saying? And yeah, I'm intentionally putting some pressure on you because I want you to know I'm here to give you the gospel and to encourage you, to admonish you, to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. You see, I don't want you spiritually to stay a teenager. Uh-uh or a toddler. We want you to grow up. That's in my notes here somewhere. God wants you to grow up spiritually, to grow up into the full image of Christ Jesus. He wants you to become a fully devoted follower of Christ, not a mediocre follower of Christ. I just don't have a bigger vision than that for the church. I don't. God doesn't give me special visions. If you... And by you, I mean in the Texas sort of sense of y'all. If each one of us would focus 
on being a fully devoted follower of Christ, then God would take care of all those big vision things that we like to see, the glitz and glamorous things. God does that way. You take care of following Christ. You take care of being a fully devoted follower of Christ. And God will take care of the rest of all of those things, other things. It is easy for us to lose focus of the things that have eternal value. Philippians, do you have to think about that for a second? Because I felt like we just ran into a wall. It's easy for us to lose focus of the things that have eternal value. Philippians, as we go through this, Philippians focuses on the renewed mind. Are we together? Okay, just checking. Sometimes I go too fast and I get this blank stare. (laughs) Philippians, the, the book of Philippians, focuses on the renewed mind as a key to God-glorifying relationships. Do you want to have God-glorifying relationships? Say yes. Make sure your neighbor says yes. If they don't say yes, find somebody else to sit next to. (laughs) And footnote my message last week. (laughs) Not sitting next to you. You're not happy. (laughs) You're not going to heaven. I'm going to sit by somebody else. (laughs) You're not praising God. Philippians focuses on the renewed mind as a key to God-glorifying relationships and victory in daily living. Do we like living victoriously? Yeah, we do. The renewed mind is not simply academic achievement. Sometimes we think, well, if I read the Bible enough, if I read enough books, if I hear enough sermons, if I change my mind and pack all this stuff in my brain. No, that's not what we're talking about. When our mind has been transformed by God, I'm going to go slowly. When our minds have been transformed by God, we live more intelligibly, we care more sensibly, and we think more humbly. There's an outline for Philippians right there. We live more intelligently, we care more sensibly, and we think more humbly. In short, we focus on the things of eternal value and intentionally allow all of those other things in our lives to remain blurry. Intentional neglect is something that we have to work at, actually, because some of us are wired where everything has to be taken care of perfectly, right? Don't raise your hands. I hate unfinished projects. But whenever it comes to the kingdom of God, there's some things that we focus on that have eternal value. We put our back into these things, and we let some things just remain undone, unfigured out, blurry. Some of you are like, I don't believe you, Brent. I can tell by the look on your face. Here we go. Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses, part of verse 13 and into verse 14, Paul says, I focus on one thing. Men, this is a man message. If you've ever heard people talk about the way men think, we think about one thing at a time, right? Yes, and answering back was not one of those things you were thinking about. <laughs> Yeah, focus on one thing, and it is hard to get us out of that box into, out of that thought into another thought. Somebody called me this week, and I was busy. I was working on stage lights. They called, and they asked me questions, and I hung up, and I'm like, I really am not sure what all we talked about just now. (laughs) 
except for we have one light that will not come on and it's really driving me nuts and I was on, I was gone. Paul says, chapter 3, verse 13, he says, I focus on one thing. Watch this. Forgetting the past. Everyone say, forgetting the past. It's an important part of focusing. That needs to remain blurry. And looking forward to what lies ahead. There's a sense of anticipation. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, everyone say God, through Christ Jesus is calling us. Focus. Yeah, but Brent, I have all these. No, focus. We have all these important things we have to do and we lose focus of running this race, reaching the end, receiving the prize that God through Christ Jesus is calling us to. Have you got a better vision for life than that? Oh, well, I got to make a payment on my shiny truck. Yeah, enjoy that. Okay. In this study of Philippians, the Holy Spirit will make clear to us what we need to give our attention and energy to and what we need to intentionally set aside. Okay, I'm starting now. Joy to the end is the title of today's message. We're going to get through the greeting and a couple of extra verses. Uh, I'm going to go kind of quick because I want to camp out on the, the last half of my message. Joy to the end. You thought I was going to say joy to the world, right? It's kind of that season. It's on your mind. Joy to the end. Christians are the worst. I'm going to, I'm getting ahead of myself again. We tend to be really bad about, oh, we have the joy of Jesus, you know. No, I don't know, actually. You are rude and make me uncomfortable. Uh, we, we get into this by Jesus. He transforms the way we think. He transforms our minds. He helps us to focus on eternal things. And through that, we're going to have joy through to the end when Jesus returns. You're going to see that at the end of our text today. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. If you're visiting or if you're a guest, I do preach from the New Living Translation because it's written on a sixth grade reading level, and that's where I think. All right, verse 1. This letter is from Paul. What did I say? Something wrong? Philippians 1 1. This letter is from Paul and Timothy. Paul always gets all the credit. But Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. He says, I am writing to all of God's holy people. Man, every one of those words is just so rich. All of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. That's good that he included them and the people that belong to Christ Jesus. Because in some churches you wonder, right? It's kind of funny. I love Philippians. This letter is written by the Apostle Paul. We've talked about him before. And Timothy. It's written around the time of AD 60. Paul is in prison. There's debate about where he's in prison, but he's probably in prison in Rome. Okay? Uh, Paul, he's the guy that persecuted Christians until God knocked him down, transformed his life, commissioned him to preach the gospel, plant churches, and then get in prison where he could write letters that would explain the application of the gospel to everyone's lives. You got it? Amen. Okay, good. 
Timothy was Paul's protege. We just went through 1 and 2 Timothy. I think it was last year that we preached through 1 and 2 Timothy. Paul's giving Timothy instruction because Timothy's pastoring his own church now. So he's writing letters to them. This all works together, and it's important for pointing that out, is because if Paul had remained being an apostle and going around to churches, he never would have sat still long enough to write letters to all of those churches to give them instruction so that they'd be recorded and copied and printed in our Bible so that we could read them today and study them. It's peripheral information. We're going to get it all there, okay? You see, Paul needs to go to prison because he's one of those amped up guys that you got to calm down. God says, hey, man, let's, sit, let's settle down here. Settle down here. Write some great letters to Timothy. Write some, church, some letters to some churches, to Philippi, to Ephesus. Uh, we're going to write all these letters. We're going to send them out. And then it's going to be canonized. We're going to have God's word that's going to go to Desert Heights one of these days. And these people are going to hear it. And they're going to know Jesus. Okay? So it's an important part of the process of what God's doing in, in his kingdom. Okay? Paul, he refers to himself and Timothy as slaves of Christ Jesus. Slaves of Christ Jesus. That's a, that's a weighty word, isn't it? No? Okay. It gives us a snapshot whenever he says... Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. He gives us a snapshot of how Paul pictured his relationship with Jesus. You see, I could say, I am Brent, Diane's husband. And you're like, okay, I understand that relationship. Paul says, I am Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. What is the picture that's in your mind? You don't have to answer, but I want you to picture that in your mind. Paul says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Paul and Timothy view themselves as the absolute possession of Jesus Christ, their Lord. They owe absolute obedience to him. Fully devoted follower of Christ, not a mediocre follower of Christ. Get it? There's a difference. They owe their absolute obedience to him. They are, they are bound to Christ Jesus, inseparable. They, there is an intentional, an intentional and absolute attachment to Jesus Christ. A slave to Jesus because there is no better life to live. Does that make sense? And if you're going to attach yourself to something or someone else, make sure that it's the best possible option you have. That's good. If you want to go to heaven, attach your wagon, so to speak, to somebody who is eternal and is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Oh, that's good preaching. Yeah, we want to be followers of Christ. Why? Because he's the son of God. He's eternal and he forgives us of our sins. He'll take us to heaven with him. So I don't mind being a slave to Christ. Paul is writing to, we're moving on. Hopefully you got your mind around that. Some of you are still thinking about it. Paul is writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi. I'm not going to take time to do the geography of 
Philippi. I usually do. I love biblical geography, but we're going to keep moving along because this is important. All of God's holy people. Right off the bat, Paul draws this big circle and he invites all believers into it with himself and Timothy. The letter seems to be more personal than professional. He's not saying, so at the church, you you people at Philippi, this is what's happening in my ministry and this is what's happening in your ministry. No, 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 no. He's writing to all of God's holy people. All of us are into this together. These are, uh, Paul is writing to people that he considers to be close enough friends that he's comfortable being transparent to them. You'll see as we go through, okay? The, The guard is down. I'm Paul. Timothy, we're writing to you, our brothers in Christ, we love you, here's what we're doing, here's what's happening, okay? This isn't, (laughs) Paul is not writing in the lower Laryngeo, right? This is Brother Paul and my brother Timothy, and I'm writing to the church, (laughs) the saints at Philippi. No, he's writing a letter to his friends. He wants them to know some important things. So he he writes to all of the saints, pardon me, he writes to all of God's holy people, holy people, oh, so good. He includes at the end as a little addendum, all the church leaders and deacons in this greeting. Here again, I want to reemphasize the importance of the feeling of this letter is inclusive. It is inclusive, not exclusive. You with me? You go to church in 61 AD, and they say, we have a letter from the Apostle Paul. And somebody who's new to faith says, well, I don't know who the Apostle Paul is. Well, the Apostle Paul is the one that's going around, and he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people are getting saved, and he's planting churches, and he's in prison now, and he's doing this great ministry. He's fantastic. How have you not heard of him? And so then we immediately start drawing these circles in the kingdom of God of new believers that know nothing. (laughs) Yeah, I'm making fun of some of you. Uh, New believers that know nothing, and then you have the apostles, Right? Two different circles. And Paul is saying all of God's holy people, including all of the leaders in the church too. One circle, all inclusive, God's people, holy. So there is one group of God's holy people, Paul, Timothy, all the believers, all the church leaders and the deacons. Just because you are a new believer does not put you in a different category of other believers. Believers that are uh, possibly been saved for a long time. Not two circles. Are you with me? That cuts both ways. That's why I'm kind of pausing. Because you may come into the church and be a new believer and feel like, well, I don't know what all's going on. And Brent talks about Paul, and I really don't know that much about him. And I have no idea how you can find the book of Philippians in my Bible. And I just feel second rate in the church. The flips, you shouldn't feel that way, by the way, because we're all God's holy people through Jesus Christ. The second, the the flip side of that, though, is is that some of us have grown up in church, right? I have 44 years and nine months in church. (laughs) You figure out why I said that. Anyway, yeah, I have some time in church. So it's easy for those of us that have been raised in church to be like, yeah, I know it all. 
I'm in a different section. I'm at a different level. That's a good way of putting it. It's a really bad way of putting it. I'm at a different level with God than these new people. No, you're not. You were a sinner. Jesus died on the cross, forgave your sins, and you came to church, and we're all happy for it. That's it. Get over your silly selves. Whether or not you're a new believer feeling inferior or an old believer feeling superior, get over it. We're all in this together. This letter is addressed to all of God's holy people. Because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, because of you and I's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's us too. Because God has chosen to set us, you and I, God has chosen to set you and I apart from the world to his kingdom. Paul's greeting includes us to all of God's holy people. Does that make you happy that God has something to say to you today? He does. He has something to say directly to you. Verse 2, here we go. He says, May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Paul offers, very, uh, very typical of Paul, he offers this brief prayer of grace and peace. Everyone say grace and peace. Grace and peace, grace and, peace and grace and peace and grace and peace. It's like boots and cats, right? Kind of. Anyway, grace, Paul, did I get some of you distracted? Focus, will you? (laughs) Grace is you or someone else receiving an undeserved reward. And Paul says, may, go back to the text, I'll read it right. May God our Father, the Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you something you didn't deserve. If you're going to pray for me, that's a a prayer I would like for you to pray for me. Give Brent something he doesn't deserve. Something good. (laughs) Right? We like grace. Pray for grace. Peace is, well, uh, it's being filled with, watch this. Peace is being filled with courage and feeling calm and content no matter what the circumstances are. That's peace. That's good. Paul says, give them, may may you be filled with grace and peace. Now, that's a good way to start off a letter. Paul's writing to these people. He wants them to listen carefully. And so he says, may God our Father, the Father of all the family of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, who was raised from the the grave on the third day and appeared to hundreds of people and then ascended after promising he was going to come back and take us, may he give you grace and peace. And now everybody listening to this says, I'm paying attention. Yeah. Amen. Number two, here we go. The joy of, the, of partnership. I spent way too much time on that. We're gonna, we're, now we're going to go fast. Strap your seatbelt on. Here we go. Number two, the joy of partnership. Philippians chapter one, verse three. And I wrote in my notes, read slowly. Here we go. Follow along with me every time. Everyone say every time. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. 
I'm waiting for you to think about it. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. (laughs) For you have been my partners in spreading the good news of Christ from the time you first heard it until now. See, Paul didn't have a better vision for the church than that either. Is just spread the gospel, fully devoted followers of Christ. That's what we're after. In verse 1, what we previously looked at, Paul includes everyone in all God's holy people is who he's writing this to. Here, Paul includes everyone in his circle because they have worked with him to spread the good news of Jesus from the first time they heard it there at Philippi. Are you with me? Paul is excited about these people, and these people are excited about spreading the gospel message. We see this picture of Paul and Timothy and those who have ministered to, they've been working together, celebrating together, praying for one another. They've been being thankful for each other and doing it all with joy. To give you a picture in your brain, for your imagination? I mean, I read that and I'm thinking, this is a beautiful picture of a church that is full of joy. They pray for each other and it makes them happy. You know, I, I, like I said, I grew up in this thing and there's a lot of this, oh, God bless sister so-and-so because she's a, um, she needs a blessing and uh, help help the pastor because, oh, he is so hard to follow on Sunday morning. Yeah, you never prayed that way, did you? (laughs) Me neither. All right. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. All right. Yeah, we do. And pray, Lord, bless that person with a brick. This church, (laughs) I know you didn't know that I thought that way sometimes, huh? This is a picture of a wonderful church that that is filled with joy. Why do they have joy? Because they have Jesus in their hearts. They love Jesus. They love one another. They're thankful for one another. Now, I'm going to make fun of this, and I'm sorry, because I wrote wrote my message early in the week, and then I sit down this morning, I'm looking through it, and I'm thinking, boy, this is tacky, but uh, just bear with me for being tacky for a little bit. I'm going to make fun of other people. It's a spiritual gift of mine. (laughs) Don't do that. That's not nice. So I have this set of Bible commentaries that I really like. I've had them for a long time, and I use them almost every week in preparation for preaching because I want to treat the the text correctly. And so this is what it says about this passage. I'm going to read this quote. It says, it's a good quote. It is until it gets to the end. So he says, continuing with the conventional style of Greek letter writing of this day, Paul follows his greetings, he follows his greetings with an expression of thanksgiving to God for the recipients of the letter. That's what we read. It's good. But he goes beyond mere convention and reveals his affectionate feelings for his Christian friends. That's good. That's what, it's not just, hey, how are you guys doing? It's like, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. Don't you, wouldn't you like somebody to greet you that way? As opposed to, you know, sometimes we see each other, it's like, hey, kind of wish you weren't here. 
Paul's like, every time I think of you, I just thank God because God's at work in your life and you're a beautiful person and it fills my heart with joy. And so he's saying, you know, he goes beyond convention and he reveals. He's, this is Paul being transparent. He says he, he reveals his affectionate feelings for his Christian brothers. Coupled with his expression of affection, there is a note of joy. And this note of joy is dominant throughout the letter. So I'm reading, you know, I'm in my office and I'm studying, you know, God speak to me. And uh, I'm studying and it's good and I'm loving it. And then I'm reading this, that there's a note of joy. Um, this is where I kind of I kind of part ways with my academic counterparts. It's kind of funny to say academic counterparts. Huh? It's an oxymoron. <laughs> really, Brit? You're an academic? Uh, Paul, no, it frustrates me because uh, often com commentators write the emotion out of Scripture. They're there to only look at the grammar. And so whenever they read, when Paul says, every time I think of you, I get happy, they say, there's a hint of joy. It makes me angry, it really does, because I want to scream, because that's not what the text says. There are two big emotions here. Paul is very grateful for his partners. He says in verse 3, every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. The second emotion that he has is, is praying for them gives him joy. He says, whenever I pray, I make my request for you with joy. Paul is getting all kinds of happy up in here. <laughs> well, I do believe that I detect a note of joy in the book of Philippians. Do you now? Paul's ranting and raving about these people that he has been in the trenches with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, probably being persecuted. He is so happy to be writing to them. He's ecstatic. He's standing up while he's writing this letter to them, and he's probably dancing around a little bit, singing doxology and writing or dictating to his, his secretary or whatever it is. And he's all excited every time I think of you. I get all happy and thank God. Church, listen to me. This is one of my pet peeves about organized church. I'm going to read my notes because I need to go, go faster. It is okay to get emotional about your relationship with Jesus and about your relationship with other Christians in the body of Christ. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we get all excited. Sometimes we embarrass ourselves. Sometimes we get really happy. We, we may even have a note of joy in our lives. <laughs> Sometimes we're just filled with love. I, uh, I love worship service. In the event you didn't know it, I was a worship leader for eight years. And part of the reason that I, I, I just love music, music is this emotional connection to our relationship with God and to the academic part of our understanding of God. It's this bridge. And so it's, you know, uh, theology can be very academic. Worship tends to be very emotional. We put the two together and it's rich. So sometimes, whether I'm leading or whether I'm sitting out there, I'm singing along and then all of a sudden I choke up and I 
my body's full. I can't sing anymore. And so I just stand there and cry. Tears of joy. Christianity is emotional. The fact that you were a sinner on your way to hell and a holy God took you out of the darkness and put you into his wonderful light by his grace, not by anything you ever did. You didn't deserve it. By his mercy, you deserve to go to hell. But he snatched you away. If you don't get emotional about that, something's wrong. If we read scripture as if Paul never had an emotion... Scripture is boring. That's why sometimes people don't do soap. Scripture is boring. It's because of the way you're reading it. And we think that we should be boring people as well. We kind of came through an era of Christianity where people were kind of stoic. It's like, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. Yeah. I'm not sure that you do. I don't know that you even know Jesus. If you did, you'd be happy. I mean, I don't talk about my wife like that. She's my wife. Really? You love her? Yes. (laughs) Every once in a while, we have a note of romance. (laughs) Yeah, I'm mocking. I'm on a roll. Uh, I love Jesus, too. Stick to your notes, Brent. We're out of time. Uh, Where are we at? When we sing, oh, I put it in my notes because I knew we were going to sing doxology this morning. When we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Here's the deal. If you don't believe that all blessings come from God the Father, that you got some kind of corner on, I can bless myself, buddy, then you don't understand singing the song. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Every good and perfect gift that comes down from heaven is from the Father above. So when we talk about blessings, yeah, I'm excited. When we sing about praising God, I have a reason to praise God. I have been in moments where I had genuine physical needs. And God provided. I have been in moments when I was far from deserving a blessing from God. And a blessing from God showed up. So when we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow, I am singing about my relationship with the creator of the universe. Amen, Amen, Brent. Good preaching. I'm going to listen to this sermon. Paul is emotional here because this group of people have labored with him in spreading the gospel. God has accomplished some things of eternal value through Paul and Timothy and this group of people. It is normal to feel joy when you are with fellow believers. Every once in a while, people tell me, Desert Heights a happy church. I don't know that there is another kind of church. I'm not bragging on Desert Heights. Do you hear what I'm saying? Desert Heights is a happy church. I'm not sure that there is another type of church. We have Jesus. We should be filled with joy. It is good to feel joy when you pray for those that you go to church with. There is joy in the partnerships that we have in spreading the gospel and making fully devoted followers of Christ. Number three, hurry up, Brett. God finishes his work. We're back to that whole got to get, get finished thing. Focus. All right. Philippians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians is going to be hard for me. Sorry. 
Uh, Philippians is going to be hard for me because there are so many good things. I, I'll tell you, uh, here you can be privy to a conversation Josh and I had. I told him, let's divide this up in seven, let's divide uh, Philippians up into seven sermons that's going to get us through the first of the year, and then we're going to do vision casting, and we're going to talk about making fully devoted followers of Christ. We're going to talk about proclaiming the gospel, uh, about admonishing spiritual growth. We're going to do all that first of the year, all that big stuff. And he says, uh, he came back to my late, in my office way later, and he said, do you really think we can do Philippians in seven weeks? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, And so then later, I, I went through chapter one and divided it up into five messages. <laughs> hey, Josh, <laughs> we're not going to do this in seven weeks. And the fact of the matter is, those five messages could go for multiple weeks. So uh, anyway, where were we? Number three, focus, Danielson. All right. Uh, <laughs> It's hot up here. God finishes his work. I, I, really, I, I make light of it and I make joke of it, but, but I want you to really hear, sometimes we read scripture, but we don't internalize it. So when we read God finishes his work, we're like, eh, yeah, everybody except for me. Read the scripture, okay? Here we go, verse six. Paul says, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, writing God's word, he says, and I am what? I might be convinced. No. He says, I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That's why joy to the end, okay? We went through an era of Christianity where if you sinned, even a little sin, your salvation was gone. More grace in baseball than in Christianity, right? <laughs> baseball, three strikes, then you're out. Christianity, you had an impure thought, you're going to hell! Oops. I think that that kind of thinking, uh, I, I, I kind of think that the product of that way of thinking is Christians who uh, became so fearful of losing their salvation because, oh, I can't sin. You know, if, if you move in any direction and get shocked, you just stop moving, right? So in Christianity, it's like, uh, can, uh, I'm not going to give examples, there's not enough time. Can't do anything or that's a sin, so then you just freeze up, right? Can't be happy because if you're too happy, you're going to hell. Can't have too much joy. Can't be too sad. Can't be too happy. Can't. So we, we freeze up, so fearful of losing their salvation that they never actually lived for God. Paul offers a word of encouragement to, the, to these fellow laborers of the gospel and to you and I as well. He says, Paul is completely convinced that God, who's at work in you? God. Oh, but Brent, I thought that I did this. <laughs> you can't even balance your checkbook. <laughs> God will finish what he has begun. Brent, I feel like I'm just new to this. That's good. Paul is convinced that he'll finish that work in you. Brent, I failed so many times. That's perfectly fine. God's still working on you. Make you what you ought to be. There's a song there. Yeah. Watch this. 
Because God is who finishes the work that he begins. Now, I realize that I'm sticking my toe into a theological concept that is really rattling a bunch of people's cages. Well, if you come for the remainder uh, 30 or 40 messages from Philippians, <laughs> we will resolve all those problems. Okay? So get over yourself. We'll, we'll get back to it later on in Philippians. Because God is who finishes the work that he begins... We no longer, you and I, no longer have to focus on keeping our salvation. To kind of set you free a little bit. Some people didn't get set free at salvation. They got saddled with a bunch of do's and don'ts. And that's not true. We're free to just focus on Jesus Christ. To live for Him, to love Him, to serve Him. We don't have to maintain our salvation. Oh, did I sin today? Because if I don't repent every 36 minutes, then I might, you know, what if Jesus comes back and I haven't repented and I'll go to hell? Dude, God's grace is so much bigger than that. That's so silly. It's so silly. Because God is who finishes the work that he began. We no longer have to focus on keeping our salvation. We are free to focus on the grace and the peace of of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see what Paul did there? Pretty cool. We do not need to worry or fret. We do not need to live in fear. We are free to live with joy to the end. We get to live in the joy of our salvation and the joy... Did you get that? I went kind of fast. I know you guys are feeling that I'm stopping, so you're starting to disengage. You're thinking about who you're going to eat with. We get to live in the joy of our salvation and the joy of fellowship and the labor with other believers. We have so many reasons, eternal reasons, to live with joy until Jesus returns. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So many good things to look forward to. Let's bow our heads together. Father... Thank you, Lord, for your, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it challenges our hearts. Lord, I thank you that today we can, we can gather together as the body of Christ and we can be filled with joy, that we can be filled with gratitude, not only for our incredible salvation through Jesus Christ and his shed blood, his resurrection, but Lord, that we can be thankful for our fellow believers that we work with, that we are going through this life with together, that we share life with. Father, I'm thankful for this group of people. I'm thankful for their friendships. I'm thankful that they are fellow laborers for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for discipleship. Lord, I I just ask your blessing upon them today that we all are able to take our focus off of the mundane things that pull us, our attention away from you, but you help us to focus very, very concentrated and very clearly upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Surrendering our, surrendering our lives to him, to become a slave to him, to, to absolute attachment, absolute obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we grab a hold of you with all that we are, trusting that you will lead us, you will guide us, you will transform our minds as we, as we study through the book of Philippians, Father. Lord, I pray that you would be exalted in this body of believers. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen.